Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning. How's everybody doing? So glad you're here with us this morning. Um, we've had a, we have had a great time spending some time with Daryl and some of the men in the church, and I'm excited where we're going. I'm excited what God's doing. There's some some cool stuff, you know, and I, just knowing some of your stories and what God's doing is is exciting to me and 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 to watch that. We're we're in this uh, book of Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians. We've been in the book of Ephesians. We're on. We're like getting ready to land the plane. I mean, we're right there. We're in chapter six, the last chapter, but. I also wanted to remind you that we are we're finishing this this fundraising campaign for the back I'm going to, you know, continue to ask you if this is your church that you would give towards that. You'd give something towards what we believe God is doing with our youth. So, um, so we're in this book. And last week we talked about in, in 5, 22 through 33, Paul gets very specific about wives and husbands in the covenant of marriage. And he, he goes into it and, and talks about roles and what's it about. But this week, Paul continues and he instructs us in children and parents and in bond servants and masters. And uh, he, he stays in this theme that we're going to jump in today. So let me pray before we get going so we can, uh, we can see what God might say to us. Father, I thank you for the men and women here. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see, God, that you would move all of our stuff to the side. Lord, we would move all of our stuff to the side and allow you, Holy Spirit, to speak this morning. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I thank you for Paul, the apostle, and this, this incredible book of Ephesians that we've been able to wrestle through the last several months, God. Lord, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, Paul is, is jumping and staying in, in line with what he talked about. And in this next chapter, Paul uh, continues to tell us as Christians, he's speaking to the church as Christians, uh, the, these principles that play out in every aspect of life. And, and it's interesting because he talks about cultural principles or principles that apply to a culture as well as what applies to your family husbands, wives, and kids. It, it crosses both. And, and why does Paul do this? It's to strengthen, encourage, and to instruct us. Now, when you think of the Apostle Paul, these are some of the things that he is. He's very pastoral. You don't necessarily think of him as a pastor. It's not like this, the way you think of a pastor. But in his epistles and when he talks, it's very pastoral to you and I. He takes theology and applies it to our lives in a cultural context so that you you and I can walk it out. He deals with false teaching. He tells us what's true and what's not true. He guides and directs us. And in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul affirms a biblical position of mutual submission in various relationships. He talks about this, this submission. Now, submission is not a word that we like. We don't like to be submitted to anything. Other than women need to be submitted to men. If you're here that's last week, you'll know the true context of that. So relax, women, don't, no emails. If you have an email, send them to Daryl, okay? Um, but Paul wants to affirm these, these, this mutual submission as believers in 
culture and within marriages. Why is this so important? Why, why does Paul really dig down on this? Because he takes a lot of time to really get to this. Because mutual submission in Christian relationships is to be seen, it's to be felt, experienced. Mutual submission is something that, that when you see someone walking in it in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way, there's unhealthy submission, but in a godly, healthy way, as Paul talks about here, people start to say, there's something different about them. When you see a healthy marriage and you see a man and woman and a wife in, in a healthy mutual submission, you go, I like that. When you see a family, when you see children walk in that healthy submission, what we see is sacrificial love. What we see is the lordship of Jesus. What we see is a servant leadership. And that's what Paul is talking about. And from chapter 1 to chapter 6 in this book of Ephesians, Paul has this, this theme of unity going on. And then he provides the framework for how believers, you and I, are to relate to one another. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but church people are weird. Is, I mean, come on. Now, look, look to the right and left and you'll see a weird person. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to get around it. Are they, they just, they, you know, the church people, they just act weird. Sometimes they dress weird. Sometimes their breath is weird. You know, it's just this, I don't know what it is about, about Christians. But Paul wants to take us and put us right in the middle of the cultural weird. So that we can bring some hope. Uh, he doesn't want us just to be straight weird. He wants us to step into the culture and bring the gospel of Jesus. W why is mutual submission so important to Paul? First and foremost, it's a reflection of Jesus. This mutual submission that's talked about in the Bible is, is imitating the life and teachings of Christ Jesus. That's why, you know, we go, this is very difficult. This is why we look at Jesus. He walked it out in perfection. It's a, it's a life of humility. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of others. You want to talk about mutual submission? It's this, that in your marriage, it's not about you. It's about her. In your marriage, it's not about her. It's about him. With your parents, kids, oh, my parents are just, you know, this and that, and, and some of them may very well be, and I have been, but, but it's not about you. It's about what Jesus is doing in that relationship. And so many times we don't get it right, but, but Paul's saying this, look, when the church gets this, when you and I understand this, it's a reflection of the one that we're bringing to this culture, Jesus. So number two, it creates unity. It creates unity. Mutual submission brings unity. When Christians willingly submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it creates unity and harmony and the hope. Look, if this one thing would take place in the church, and when I say church, the big church, not this church, the church, Christ's church, if the church of Jesus Christ, not Latter-day Saints, the church, Jesus' church, if the church would get this one thing and unify, what would this place look like? Instead of this whole, this is my church, that is your church, and we're a big church, you're a small church, we've got great music, you don't have good music, your pastor can't preach, but ours can. There's only one church. There's only one savior of the church. But somehow we find it difficult as the church to walk in this, this unity. 
What if we did a study, uh, Dr. Ryan Cozy is a very good friend of mine. He oversees one of the largest studies and surveys of Christians in American history. Um, and, and in this, one of the things he found, we did a study in Costa Mesa. There was, this is about 10 years ago. There's about, at the time, about 55 churches in Costa Mesa, 110,000 people, give or take, um, and give or take churches also. And, and what we realized, if, if those, just half of those churches, about 25, 26 of those churches would come together and, and, and work together and draw circles around where those churches were, fill out the map of Costa Mesa. And if, if those, just half of those churches, 25, 26 ish would take responsibility to preach the gospel for everybody in their area of significance, where their church is, that in about a seven-year period, we could see every man, woman, and child with a repeated opportunity to accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the church would work together. Oh, I got my church over here. Oh, we got our church over there. And it's not easy. We got like three or four churches coming through here, and it ain't easy. I'm not always nice. I'm trying to be nicer. You know what I mean? When someone comes into your house, you know, and you like things a certain way and you're a little OCD. <laughs> it ain't good. God's knocking this stuff out of me. That's not where the pillow goes. Who cares where the pillow goes? Where does Jesus go? <laughs> this mutual submission creates unity. It's countercultural. Mutual submission, husband and wives mutually submitting children. Uh, uh, it, when, when we walk in this, the culture goes, I, I've never seen that before. I don't see that because really the reality is this. Life is about me. That's what culture says. The I, the one. But, but when the church and when individuals and couples walk in this, there's a humility, a selflessness that goes forth that the world doesn't see and doesn't understand and goes, hey, that's kind of interesting. People experience the love of Jesus when there's a mutual submission. People experience, literally experience Jesus. When you and I prioritize the needs and the well-beings of others above our own interests, you know what happens? Jesus goes forth. When someone else's stuff is more important than your stuff, Jesus goes forth. When you take your stuff and go, you know what, I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to help you with, with I'm put my stuff aside and help you with your stuff. You know what's happening? Jesus is going forth. There's, there's a, a, a friend that I, I'm talking to that, that I pray for regularly that he, there's cancer in their family and it's, it's hard. It's hard. He had three beautiful little girls and and uh, they're young. And one of the things that, you know, you can only imagine sitting there each day knowing that, I mean, here, let me just side note. Does everybody know this? And I don't think I'm blowing any secrets. This isn't like Santa isn't real, but does everybody know we're going to die? Every one of us. Okay, good. We got it off the table. Okay. So we're all going to die, but you know, there's something about the, the cancer. It could be tomorrow thing. And, and when I said to him, I said, look, I want you to start praying for another friend that I have that has cancer. See, we're so focused on our stuff, and I don't, I'm not saying anything. Gosh, I get it. But I'm saying, take that, what you're going through, and, and God gave you that to go through for a reason. Take it, and now go pray for someone else who's going through the same thing. Yeah. See, see, that's the expression of Jesus when there's mutual submission going forth. There's compassion. There's empathy. Number five, it's the gospel. 
It's the gospel. By living out the value of humility, love, and mutual respect, we demonstrate transformation and the power of the gospel in real life. The gospel of hope. The gospel goes forth. The gospel is the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's why I do what I do. It's why we come and do what we do here. If that is not true, don't waste your time on Sundays. Go and do what play soccer. I don't know. If that's not true, if you don't believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the answer for your life, you're wasting your time here. I do what I do because that's the hope I live in. That's the gospel. Mutual submission, it demonstrates the transformative power of God in your life. See, because in and of myself, I I can't mutually submit to this woman. I have moments, some moments, <laughs> but to consistently walk in this, this relationship uh, with my kids, I, you know, that's a hard one. It, I have moments. See, in a relationship with husbands, wives, parents, and children, slaves, masters, one another, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can love the way Jesus loved. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can love others the way God has called you to love others. Last week, Paul talked, you know, he tackles the husband and wife thing. You know, some wives submit to your husband. You know, everybody gets all, you know, husbands lay down your lives as Christ did for the church. That, you know, huge, huge. This week, Paul, you know, is talking about children and parents and slaves and masters. But here's the real, you know, he's asking children to obey your, your father and mother. Fathers, do not exasperate your children this week. Slaves, obey with fear and trembling. Masters, do the same and stop threatening. But, but does anyone really believe that you can do that apart from Jesus? Look at the world. What do you see? Everybody's got to get my own. I got to take care of. Now, the reality is you can have moments, but to walk in the fullness of this submission for a, a marriage for 60 years or 50 years of marriage, it's, it, there's this mutual submission that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, chapter 5, submit to their husband, women, lay down your life for your wife, chapter 5, 25, obey and honor your father and mother, verse 6, to provoke their children to anger, verse 4, obey the earthly masters, render good services, good, Paul says, do this over and over, he's telling us to do these things, you're going, I try, I can't do it, and you can't in and of yourself, it's just works that'll lead to frustration and religion, See, because apart from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you, apart from that, you cannot walk this out. I cannot walk it out. I can't do it on my own. This is why Paul clearly and carefully directs us in chapter 5. And he says this, look carefully when you walk. Why does he say that? Not as the unwise, but as the wise. He goes on, he says, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. Why should I be foolish? But understand that the, what the will of the Lord is. If you walk around in foolishness, you're not going to understand the will of the Lord. Paul's setting it up. And do not get drunk on wine. I clarify, he didn't say don't drink wine. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Why? Debauchery. He says, but instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, He says, dress one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Why? 
Because it's the heart of the Lord. And then he goes, giving thanks always. He says, give thanks always. Why give thanks? For in everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, give thanks always, regardless. Why? Because it's all been given to you by him. There's not a thing that you have today, not a thing that you're walking in, that hasn't been given to you by God. Now, you may have worked hard in it. You may have done the things that you need to do to accomplish what you've accomplished. I know in sports and wrestling, hockey and basketball, whatever it is, God gives a gift. Now it's in your hands to work hard and become all that God has called you to be in it. Same thing for businessmen. But there's still this attitude of, you know what? The very next breath I draw upon is from you, God. Thank you. That's the, so Paul is establishing this. Well, why does he do this in chapter 5? He goes on, he says, so that you and I might submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, why do we do all these things? So that church, so that you Christian, so that you godly husband, you godly wife, you godly child, son or daughter, so that you godly friend, business owner, fill in the blank, might submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, that's a picture of the gospel. That's the picture. Mom and dad, what would it look like if there was mutual submission in your marriage, would it change your children at all? Is, is, if, if anybody has kids in here today, just stop and think about that for one second. If you're willing to, to a wife, to mutually submit to the man that God has placed over your family and your, as headship, what would it speak to your children? Uh, husbands, if, if you're willing to, to mutually submit to your wives, wife, singular, your wife <laughs> could get us in trouble if we go plural there. Jeez, watch those words. Your wife, if you're willing to submit mutually to your wife, what, what are your kids seeing? What are, they, what, are they, what are they seeing and experiencing? Look, I, I, the reality is this, that, that I've messed up a number of times as a dad. Just to ask my kids. Ask many of you that have watched me mess up a number of times with my dad. But, but here's the thing I go to by the grace of God. By the grace of God, she has submitted and I have submitted and, and we have been able to walk in this. And what that has done, I believe, in our family is brought a security, even in the midst of the foolishness that, that we've pulled off for kids. See, when, when people see that mutual submission in your life, when your kids see it, when others see it, it changes them. It's the gospel. And that's why Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, godly mutual submission. Why? It's reverence to Jesus and the Father. Holiness. See, this Trinitarian theology that, that we see in this scripture is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect submission to one another. There's order there. God the Father, 
God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's a submission that is mutual that takes place. One not being more important than the other. One not having more than the other. There's this perfect union. I don't fully understand it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The same picture that should happen in marriage. It's not me bringing authority over my wife, but God has put an order in. God gives the the dad and then the wife and the children. That is not a, 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 a card to be abusive. That's not a card to say, I'm the man. Take care of me. Cook, clean. One out of two ain't bad, Chris. Um, so it, that's not what God has called us to. And we, if, if you're a guest here today, I'm sorry. We, it's a long-standing joke. I, I cook, she cleans, okay? So um, don't think I'm really mean, okay? Sorry. <laughs> too late? Okay. There, there's this perfect... C.S. Lewis causes this perfect dance of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mutual submission. There's no insecurity. There's no authority. I'm in charge. Its words are spoken and they're known. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit said, We're sending you, the Son, to die for our sins. There wasn't, hey, wait, 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 we didn't draw straws here. How did I get stuck with this job? There's this beautiful mutual submission that has taken place in the heavenlies. That is a, a, a picture for you and I, brothers and sisters, to mutually to submit to one another. Workers in what you do, mutually submitting. It brings God glory. Your mutual submission glorifies God the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. God is glorified in your marriage, in your relationship, when you mutually submit to one another. God is glorified when, when your family walks. God is glorified when you as a businessman walk in this. God is glorified when we walk in this mutual submission. So let's look at Paul's admonition this week in these scriptures. That was my opening. I haven't even hit our scriptures yet. Come on, I can't use that every week. <laughs> Let's see what Paul says. He says this, first one, he says, children, obey your parents as the Lord. This is, this is just obedience. Look, the, the obedience thing is in accordance with God's will. And, and the training ground for obedience is mom and dad. The picture of, 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 of dad and, and mom is a picture of God the Father in, in the obedience. And he says very clearly, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he goes on, though, and he says this, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. And he, he says that your days may be long. We'll get into this. What, but here's the question. What if you have really crappy parents? What if your parents are really bad? Don't say anything, Jack. <laughs> what if your parents have not been great parents? But wait, wait. The Bible says honor your father and mother. In the, in the original context in the Hebrew, the word used is, is an honor, offer honor, is this heaviness. There's a weight to it. And, and that weight has to do with the very fact that God birthed, gave you and your parents birthed you and gave you life. There's a heaviness to what we walk in as parents. There's a heaviness to raising children. And you carry a, a lot of weight when you do that. Therefore, God says that's worthy of honor. Now, if your parents abused you, your parents abandoned you? God forbid a, a parent molested you? How do you reconcile that? You can reconcile it at, at, the, at the very 
nth degree, which is this. God, thank you that I have life, and it came through these two. Honoring doesn't mean that you have to obey them for the rest of your life. There's a period as a kid you do. Honoring doesn't mean that you have to put up with abuse. None of that is true. It's, it's understanding God's order. God didn't will that you went through that. He allowed it, everything, he's sovereign, but, but here's what he's saying with honor. As you honor them, the very life that you have, not hold on to bitterness, not hold on to unforgiveness, not hold on to all of that stuff, and you let it go, and you just go, God, there's not many good things about him, but thank you, because I have life. When we honor our parents, we regard them as, as substantive, not meaningless, I mean, when they're young, ah, they're, they're completely out of touch. They're meaningless. Now we evaluate and, and judiciously we look at them. And as we get older and older, we get more and more judicious. We have, we have a better ability to see that they're not as stupid as we think they are. That they actually do know something. He says this in verse 3, that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. Now, you know, you can take that scripture and you can, you can really mess with it and go, I honor my parents, so I'm going to live to be 110. Well, I mean, principally it's true, but there's a covenant that was made in Exodus that, that, that it's where he's quoting this from, where, where Paul is quoting this from, and it's this. There's the natural that your days may be long, and the covenant that God was going to give the Israelites, the people, the land that they would live in and inhabit, but there's also a spiritual aspect to it, when you honor your father and mother, when you have this relationship with Jesus, when you understand mutual submission, what will happen is that you will live long into eternity with the creator of heaven and earth. So you, you, you don't be short-sighted and just say, you know, this is an absolute, I'm, you know, <laughs> it's not necessarily true. I've seen some people that honor their parents that died young, but it's a principle. But then he goes in, this is my favorite one, dear Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is, what's he, what is he talking about? Don't, don't provoke your children. My wife tells me often, stop provoking your children. These are some of the things. Overbearing and controlling behavior. Unrealistic expectations. Harsh discipline. Ignoring or dismissing their feelings. Check, check, check. Paul says that, that when there's this mutual submission, something takes place in a relationship with a father and son, with a father and daughter, with a, a, a wife. And, and it's, it's, there's, there's still an authority structure. I'm dad. This is mom. And here are the children. But there, it's, it's, there's this mutual submission of respect in the way that I deal with my children. There's, there's, there should be this, this ability, you know, when I grew up and, and Jim asked me to do something, you say, yes, sir. Today, why? You can explain why. And, and, and in the business world and where I work, dear Lord, I got all these, uh, were they millennials? What are these 20 something in my, what, that, that Gen X, dear Lord, okay, whatever. I don't even know all these things. All these Gen Xs, they want to know why, and I just want to say, because I said so. That's what my dad taught me, because I said so. But it don't work anymore. I got to explain this crap. It's ridiculous. I said so is not enough anymore. 
not, not provoking your children in the, the mutual submission is that when I walk my children through discipline, that I, that I sit down and have a conversation and talk about what the Bible says about it. Not just dumb kid, stupid move, you're grounded. I've never said that, but thank you for laughing. I don't think. Um, there, there's something that fathers, don't provoke your children. You know what that does? It, it, it pulls the Spirit of God out of them. And that's not good. How do we do this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then our scripture for this year, Deuteronomy 6, gives us direction on that. It says, these commandments that I give you today, let them be on your hearts. Impress them into your children. Talk about them when you sit in your home and when you walk along the roads, when you lie down and when you get up. We talked about the scripture about a month or so ago. But, but he, he gives us instructions on how to do it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and then being deliberate with your kids. That's how you do it. And then Paul shifts into slaves and masters. We need to pause here for a second, because this is, this is, you know, and culturally and what we're going through and everything and woke slash whatever, I, I, I need to be really careful here, okay? And, and this is the disclaimer that the, the quote, I didn't put his name, sorry, um, but he said this, while Paul's instructions may seem to endorse the institution of slavery, it's critical to consider that broader principle of love, justice, and human dignity that are central to Christian faith. Many scholars and theologians argue that Paul's primary concern was to address the behavior of the individual within the existing societal structure rather than to condone and endorse slavery and the institution. Does that make sense? Look, slavery is not going away. In fact, we have more slavery today than we did in the Roman Empire. If you don't know that, you need to wake up. Slavery is happening today. So God knows that slavery is going to take place. So he says, okay, the human heart is corrupt. It's wicked. We know this is going to happen. Let me give you some context in. If you're going to walk in this corruption and be an idiot and a fool, let me tell you what you do. So we're not saying that slavery is of God, and God's not saying slavery is good. There's, if you want to do a dig in a study, there's, there's indentured slaves in the Roman Empire. There's, there's all kinds, of, there's like eight of them, different slaves in there. But, but the point is this, that, that it, the Bible's not condoning it, but he's saying, hey, in the, in the context of it, here's what it looks like. Now, for us, or let me, let me get this quote from, from Augustine, who's one of the church fathers. He says this, I love this. Let the servant serve his master. Let the master take care of his servant. There is in both the one master who is master of all, the master of him who rules, the master of him who serves. There is only one true master, God the Father. Bottom line, that's it. That's it. Our, our, our closest equivalent today, if we were to talk about this and how it pertains to us, it'd be work. It'd be a boss-employee relationship. Daryl and I were talking about this this weekend. What does that look like? You know, what does it look like for us as, as employees? That's, that's how I would take this context and apply it to your life right now. He says this, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ. In other words, do your job obeying wholeheartedly with reverence and sincerity. In other words, go to work, work as hard as you can, be reverent, do what you're asked to do, do what you're paid to do, and, and let God be glorified in the fact that there are some things you don't want to do. There's some things 
You're like, I'm, this is beneath me. But because of your relationship with Jesus, you go and you submit and you do the best you can and you work as hard as you can. Doing your job. I, 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 am, I am baffled by how many Christians are, I want to cuss, half use the A word, workers. What, what does that say to someone? Oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm going to slip out a little early. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to show up on time. Oh, I'm a Christian. How'd you get your work done? Nah, what, what does that say to a boss? He goes on, he says, not, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, you're not just, you know, trying to impress about, but a bond servant of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Look, the sovereignty of God, trusting that whatever situation I am in, whether I got myself in there or whether it, through a circumstance that I had no control of, I'm in, I've got to realize that God is sovereign and that if I'm in that situation, that, that God is faithful and he can pull me out of it, but he's called me in that situation to be faithful to what I'm doing, to have integrity in the acts of service. There are many people in here today that do not like what they're doing, that would rather be doing something else than be here even this morning. But you'd rather do a different job. You'd rather be maybe in a different marriage, whatever it is. But guy goes, whoa, 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 hold on, time out here. I am sovereign over all. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3, it says from beginning to the end, you cannot fathom what I have for you, but you're sitting right in the middle of the stuff right now, and you're so frustrated. I need you to just hunker down and trust me and love and have integrity. That's what he's saying. If the church would just get that... If we just get a couple of, of Paul's points today, unified, hard workers, submitting to one another, we could change the world. <laughs> Verse 7, he says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. My work's not unto man, my work's unto the Lord. If you're trying to please a boss, if you're trying to please a wife, if you're trying to please a husband, if you're trying to please a child, if you're trying to please anybody other than the Lord, it's all in vain. That says, please me in this. How do we do that? By handing them what we have and doing what God has called us to do with everything that we have. Doing it under the Lord, the grateful heart. Even in the midst of the cruddy jobs, even in the middle of that relationship that doesn't seem too slick right now, if you would mutually submit and, and trust God, watch what he might do. Watch what he might do. Verse 8, he says, Knowing that what, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. God, he just establishes who he is. God, right there, he says, I am sovereign. I don't care if you're a slave or you're free. I'm bigger than all of it. I don't care if your marriage is in the dumps or it's doing great. I don't care if your relationship's in the dumps or it's doing well. I don't care if you don't have money or do have money. I don't care if you're sick or you're, you're poor or you're, you're healthy. I don't care about, I am over all of that. And if you'll just submit and trust me, watch what I might do. Now, that, that's a tricky thing. Watch what I might do because then you say, oh, he's going to do something great. And I'm going to be rich. Maybe not. Maybe Maybe this, this, maybe this, maybe he gives you the peace to sit right in the middle of it. Is that enough? 
Maybe in the midst of your stuff, God grabs a hold of you and you get hope again. Maybe in the midst of what seems like hell on earth, God grabs a hold of you and you lift your head and there's a smile and there's a confidence and it has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in your life, even in the midst of all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, your wife, your husband, your friend, your coworkers looking at you going, this makes no sense. This is crazy. How the heck does this happen? And you go, Jesus, Jesus. Whether you're cleaning toilets or running a million-dollar company, when you honor Jesus, he will honor you. Now Paul shifts from employee, slave, to boss, master, and deals with the boss. And he says, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Now that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him, leaders show respect. Lead, be a servant leader. Show respect, he's saying. He's saying, show respect and, and, and treat people well. Treat your employees well. The truth is this. Neither slave nor master can walk in grace apart from Jesus. Now, you might have moments. Absolutely, you have moments. But that, that grace that sustains you, that, that grace that walks you through difficulty, that grace when you, you, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and you're believing for the light at the end of the tunnel. That grace that walks you through hopelessness. That, that, that grace that rises up in your heart when the pain is too much to bear. That's the grace of this Jesus that I serve. That's the hope. In, in this book of Ephesians, this epistle, Paul is building into you and I as believers. He's like, let me pour in. He's a pastor. He's a teacher. He's a theologian. He's like, let me give you something. Let me give you something. Let me give you something for your relationships. Let me give you a little something for your kids. Let me give you a little something for your husband. Let me give you a little something for your wife. Let me give you a little something. And if you'll just do this, let me tell you what God's going to do. If you'll just trust and walk in it, God can change your situation. Let's look at the order. Paul's writing, and, and we're, we're winding this Ephesians down, which is amazing. Um, Paul gives an ethical guidance to us, and then he, the application of Christian principles, and then Christ's teaching, and, and consistently promotes unity throughout his scripture, and then, and then he gives a testimony, you know, our testimony to believers. But then here we go. We're getting ready to land this plane in the next few weeks. Then Paul finishes Ephesians and reminds us that there's a war going on. There's a battle going on right now for your soul. There's a battle going on for your kids. There's a battle going on for your marriage. There's a battle going on for your integrity. There's a battle going on for truth. It is happening right here. And Paul's given us another wake-up call at the end of Ephesians, in Ephesians 6. He says, wake up here. You better know that there's a battle. Whether you think there is or not, there's a battle going on. And Paul concludes by telling us to be strong in the Lord. But he doesn't just say, be strong in the Lord. Hey, go be strong in the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord. And I'm not just going to leave you there. I'm going to tell you how to be strong in the Lord. 
I'm going to show you how to walk it out. I'm going to show you how to walk in the midst of that difficulty. I'm going to show you how to walk in the midst of the fiery darts. I'm going to show you what it means to be a warrior. I'm going to show you what it means to fight this fight. And you've got to understand that you can't, Christians, we can't walk around with our heads buried in the sand and not think that there's not a fight. Just turn on the TV and look. Just read the newspaper. Look at the divorce rate. Look at... I don't care. I'm going to go on a tangent. Gemini. Anybody know what Gemini is? Google's new AI came out this week. I don't know if you've read about it. Google's new AI came out this week. If you put in pedophilia, it's pedophilia wrong. It comes back and says it's a sexual orientation and it's not wrong. Are you kidding me? You don't think there's a war going on for the souls of our children and for each one of us? Paul says, okay, we got a spiritual war. We got to fight. And next week we're going we're gonna to jump in that. We're going to talk about the armor of God. We're going to talk about what Paul says. I love the way he writes this book because he, throughout he's talking about unity and he gives us practical examples of what it means to be a Christian. And then he takes practical life of kids and parents and workers and, 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 and others. And, and then he goes, okay, now let me show you how to fight because there's a fight going on. And you may not feel like you're in the fight, but this is how it goes. You're either in it, you're coming out of it, or you're getting ready to go back in. If you're in a a, a season of peace, thank the Lord, but prepare. But prepare. And this is why I believe God told us that this year is about family. We want to learn how to fight for our families. We want to learn how to fight for our kids. We want to learn how to fight for our spiritual families. Because I don't think it's going to get easier. I think it's only going to get more difficult. If you're not willing to fight and address the fight, it could be trouble. Join us next week as we, we dive into to these uh, scriptures and the full armor of God. Um, let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Look, God, there's a lot there today. Dear Lord, I just shoved a lot into a little time. Forgive me. God, I pray that your spirit would, would speak and take the pieces that need to be taken. God, that the word would go forth. And God, your word says it goes forth and doesn't come back void. Lord, in spite of me, Lord, I pray that, that you would stir up our hearts in, in, in what we've heard this morning. Lord, as the band comes up and we get ready to receive communion and, and worship and our way out of here, God, that I, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us this morning. You'd speak to our hearts. Is there anything unclean? Is there anything we need to repent for? Is there anything that, God, that, do, we need to, do we need to declare the honoring of our parents? Do we need to forgive our parents? Do we need to forgive our children, our wife, our husband? Do we need to repent for not submitting? And most importantly, repent for not submitting to you, Father. God, I love this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.